0: Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. I hope you didn't mind me putting you into that new breed of cat out in Hollywood, because there is a new thing out there, and uh, I presume you're pleased to be a part of it.
1: Well, I don't know. Uh, it's a you know, it's uh, if that is a new breed, and if I'm a part of it, that's a, a flattering uh, description that you put on. I don't live too much in Hollywood these days, so. But I guess people still think of well, movie the new and thing history Yeah, yeah and, that's the new thing. Meaning, uh, nobody lives there anymore. <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe that's why, that's why there's more real people. Huh? We all work there. And we all make our living in motion pictures. But it's changed. i tell you, who Van Johnson was here last week. Now, Uh here's a guy who goes back to the old days when he was part of that big MGM stable of stars. But things aren't that way anymore. People are taking an active part in more than just the acting. And you're doing it yourself now. Mm -hmm. Directing, for instance.
1: Well, Van Johnson, there's a famous story about him that he did quite a few bit parts in the studio and they couldn't get him going. And finally, one time, they did a test by accident of which they didn't let him wear any makeup or anything, and all the freckles popped through, and uh, kept talking about realism, which you you were just bringing up, and all of a sudden they said, hey, that's the guy, you know, and it, uh, he became a big hit. Did Clint Eastwood always want to be an actor? No, I never was interested in it at all. I never really knew what I wanted to do. Uh, I'd gotten out of the service and was going to college on the G.I. Bill and... Uh, I had a chance to go under contract to Universal. In those days, the studios all had large contract groups, and I had a chance to uh, go under contract to Universal for uh, a very small thing and a very small price, a wage, and uh, study acting. So I decided I'd try it for six months. Well, you never try it for six months. It takes you over completely. And it didn't take long to take over. Uh, It was like the the proverbial bug that bites you and yeah it does it you get uh, wrapped up in it and then uh, when you get to the point where you get enough success that you are doing films then the, the films kind of grab you Of course the the big
0: thing in your life I'm sure and in the life of any young actor nowadays is to to get a TV series where you're seen by you know literally millions of people and and
1: rawhide was it for you TV series is the fastest uh, way to get you know exposure to the public I mean, I guess so many people watch television, plus the fact... Uh, well, if you get a hit, fortunately, Rawhide was a, a hit show, and it, it ran quite a while.
0: Was it a hit right away? Was Rawhide an immediate Yeah, it was a success? hit
1: immediate uh, immediately. In fact, it was a show that almost didn't go on. They uh, had canceled it. It was supposed to go on in September, and they'd set it back, and finally it went on as a mid-season replacement, and they had... 12 of them filmed, and they didn't know what they were going to do with them. And it was, uh, people were, rumors that were our shows were out and all that sort of thing. And uh, it went on, and uh, about the second month it was on, it was up way high in the top 10. And and that was that Doing well. So we hung out for a while. Was
0: the work as hard as you uh, expected it to be? Was it perhaps a little bit
1: easier? It was hard. Uh, But it's never hard if you enjoy doing something. You enjoyed it right now. And and I've, there were times it got hard, let's say, (laughs) over the years. You're a guy uh, who doesn't like to use doubles, I understand. Uh, Well, that part's fun. I mean, everybody, you know, as a kid, you're always frustrated jumping off. You imagine yourself doing all these things. So uh, it's fun. You get to uh, live different existence. You enjoy doing the rough and tough stuff, though. It didn't, didn't bother you at all. No, that's that's the fun part. That's the easy part. the 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 only hard part is trying to fill time each uh, week. Of the sort of unsung hero are the, are the writers, story editors, and so forth, who have to fill an hour's show every week. And if if you don't have the material, if there isn't any substance there, and you have to fill it anyway,
0: it is tempting to sit here and and discuss with Clint Eastwood things like the, the Rawhide television series. And frankly, we are going to talk about movies like For a Few Dollars More and uh, Fistful of Dollars and uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly. But before we get to those, because it is a fascinating story, you are kind of wrapped up now in something else. Well, you've wrapped it up and now you're trying to sell it to America, <laughs> to to put it bluntly, and that's a new movie. But there's more than a passing interest for Clint Eastwood, isn't there?
1: Well, yeah, this is a film that I had, uh, I had the story on for about four years ago. I have had it for about four years off and on. I had the story under option and then the writer, I was in Europe uh, doing Where Eagles Dare and the writer uh, said she had a chance to sell it to uh, Universal for a good price so I said go ahead, sell it. They had it for about a year, year and a half, nothing happened with it and I came back I signed a deal to do several pictures for Universal and uh, I took it off the shelf and tried to develop it. This is a, what, what interested you about the story to begin with, Clint. Well, I always loved suspense films and uh, the entertainment value of suspense films. But what I liked about this one is the the suspense element is not uh, there's it's no it's not a monster film or any particular distortion that way. It's just a uh, uh, it's a subject that can happen. I mean, the. Um, the whole smothering type of relationship can happen and does happen to almost everybody to different degrees, you know. Even to disc jockeys. Right, and, and this is a story of a disc jockey who gets, um, who has somebody who requests. I think every disc jockey has a group of groups that constantly request uh, tunes, and um, he finally meets her, and the, the relationship turns into sort of a psychotic one. It's a fascinating
0: so, so concept bad. to begin with, especially to those of us in the business. Yeah, <laughs>
1: people uh, in disc jockey dumb or, or broadcasting or whatever. You, uh, but what do you What, do you, what well, I I call know. yourselves? Yeah, broadcasters?
0: The, or well, no? yeah, broadcasters, I mm-hmm. guess, or uh, communicators. Somebody came up with a word because the business has changed somewhat. Some people don't like the word disc jockey because, frankly. Uh, That's like calling an actor a. Play actors. probably. Because we do more. Like, we sit and talk. Now, we're not going to play any records for, you know, for, well, with the exception of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, maybe, Mm -hmm. for an hour. And yet, this morning, I played a whole lot of records. I I guess we're communicators. But there are still disc jockeys. And the disc jockey of Play Misty for me is just that. I mean, he plays records. Although, he does more.
1: Right. Well, uh, it's small towns. Uh, In a small town, I think disc jockeys become almost as well-known as uh, as anybody, you know, uh, everybody knows everybody anyway, and everybody listens to the show, and I kind of, uh, I took it and filmed it in Carmel, California, because I knew a disc jockey there, and he kind of was this type of guy, everybody knew him. It, the, the script was originally written to be done in a city like Los Angeles, or could be done here, anywhere. And describe, though, uh, what
0: he does, because I think this is interesting, the, the type of uh, disc jockey, the time of the of the evening that
1: he's on and the well he's a night disc jockey and he uh... uh... he he comes on after uh, the sort of daytime rhythm and blues guy and he plays uh... he plays jazz or, or rock or whatever but he he also does poet poetry and everything he's I understand
0: cool <laughs> and he reads and mm-hmm. recites poetry and uh he gets a particular request from a particular listener and then this is the beginning of He the gets a romantic
1: image going for this one listener and the and uh, when he meets the girl he you know, he informs her that he's got other involvements in life, but uh that doesn't seem to stop anything. I,
0: we don't want to tell him too much more because as Clint told you, it is a suspense film
1: Right. Movie. It's it's basically a suspense film and being a disjunk is just his profession and he could have been anything else except the the whole introduction to the story of getting into it and uh and how um i mean how he gets involved uh, through the the request scene you know one of the uh one of the things
0: that i'm sure Clint has been asked before and you're going to have to listen to this time and time again from interviewers uh, and you mentioned the fact that you knew a disc jockey in in Carmel, but you know the the, the obvious question is, you know, is this guy based on a, a real person, somebody that somebody knows somewhere who is uh, on late at night and reads poetry? And...
1: Well, I think the writer uh, uh, designed that character because there are people who have done this. There have been disc jockeys in the past. I guess there are still some that do that. But it's not
0: based on any particular individual, is it? Um, you know
1: the the female in the piece is um, is based on a real individual sort of a, i mean and the story isn't exactly that story but it's uh... the the female in the in the show did some of the deeds <laughs> let's get to the
0: other part of this uh... in addition to picking up the story
1: and starring
0: in play misty for me which is clint's newest film by the way it, it's uh... from universal uh, studios and it opens here in chicago at the end of the week but you have more than a passing interest because you decided to direct this one
1: yeah well i directed it roy because i i just had the story so long i decided i better uh just try it myself put it down the way i saw it uh normally you'd you know hire a director with somebody you agreed with or you respected their talents and uh you would go ahead that way, but um, this one I had, the, the cinematographer, too, partly was responsible. He kind of talked me into, we worked on several shows together, and he kind of said, you know, look, if you have it that strong in your mind, why don't you put it down? Have you ever directed before? I've directed segments of films. I did a, a um, short subject on Don Siegel, and I've done second unit on films. Second unit is what? Well, roles. that's when the director is involved in one sequence, and you go out and shoot sequences that uh, you know, so you can double up. You're shooting one sequence on one side of town; he's shooting in the other. And uh, did you do this by request or because you you, you kind of pushed for it? Well, I, I did uh, uh, this film uh, I made after *Missy Dirty Harry*. I have um, I, I did uh, uh, one the director planned on me doing, and another one he had uh, he came down with a hundred and three temperature one night, so. I took over for a few days. What goes through an actor's mind? Now, here's a guy
0: like our guest today, Clint Eastwood. He doesn't start out in life to be an actor, but the bug hits him and he likes it. But what goes on in your mind when suddenly you are faced with all of this responsibility of making whatever's going to happen, happen, and it's your baby? Isn't it kind of frightening?
1: Yeah, it is frightening. And it's uh, it causes anxieties as you're doing it. You think, uh, is this something, you know, halfway through? It's the same with performing, though. Halfway through a picture, you always wonder if you're doing the right thing but yeah, if you're if, performing uh, the
0: director can say, "Hey, cut," and then he can tell you what to do
1: oh well, i see you're change. you're getting to the to the part where you mean how do you judge your right. performance the third eye well, I used a video replay uh, technique oh yeah and, and i uh, for most of the film, and that way you can go back into a uh-huh. uh, and look at a monitor and see the scene back on television and w- how many t- how many times do you remember percentage wise were you were you Maybe a little bit unhappy, or you said, gee, I, no, we better do this again. I'm not too well. Performance yet. wise, you can usually feel it and you can see it when you're in, and you can feel if the ensemble's working, you know, if all the machinery's going. The only time uh, that uh, most of the time it was because. They'd be uh, you know a, a zoom shot they'd be efficient uh, the the operator would miss it or the composition That's didn't technical. look right, yeah, mostly for technical is where it work out. trying to think of occasionally you'd kind of scrutinize your own stuff you know I was kind of uh, trying to think of guys who have been successful directing
0: and acting. you know the first one that comes to mind is Jerry Lewis, you know who is
1: mm-hmm. who just seems
0: to everything he touches turns to gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, have there been many other actors though who have
1: successfully acted and directed? There haven't been uh, too many I know of. The, f- the most famous one, I suppose, was Orson Welles years ago. Um, the French film buffs think that the best one was Robert Montgomery in a picture called Ride the Pink Horse. Oh, yeah. That was—that's uh, the Europeans. They feel that was. The best direction and acting wasn't the, combined. What was the one he did where he put the
0: camera on his? Uh, you know, he, that was Lady in the Was that in the Lake? Lady in the, the lake, lake or something, something like that, there, where yeah.
1: the camera was the was the individual the character. Yeah. The man and He only character. saw him once in the picture in a reflection in the mirror, oh, right? Which I thought was fascinating yeah. to look at once. anyway. well, I think he directed that too. But uh, Ride the Pink Horse was a, a considered really big stuff as far as with the in. Kind of film buffs, at least in France and England.
0: So really, uh, you're kind of charting a perilous course here,
1: uh, in a sense. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's taking on a lot of responsibility. And uh, a, a critic asked me the other day, "Is it? Don't you feel it's kind of risky?" I I don't feel it's risky because it, if if I hadn't if the film didn't work, I could have. Uh, you know, I can always. Or go back to working with some really substantial
0: uh, directors, you know. Go back to Italy and make a movie. Yeah. And make to, yourself a few million. Back in uh, July of this year, there was a cover story on Life magazine. The world's favorite movie star is, no kidding, Clint Eastwood. Uh, did, you, uh, did, you know, did you have to spend a couple of hours with a, a life reporter uh, for this story, or did they pick this up from other sources?
1: No, actually, they, uh, I spent about a week. They, they came out when I was filming uh, this film, Dirty Harry, in San Francisco, and they uh, just followed around for a week. For a guy who is, uh, has made as
0: many motion pictures, successful motion pictures, and who gets a cover story on Life magazine, uh, Clint Eastwood, as we have found out for the first half hour, is about as unassuming a kind of guy as you'd ever have a chance to meet. You don't act like an actor. No, wait a minute. Now, let me rephrase that. You act, <laughs> no, you act like an actor on the screen, but... You are very quiet and unassuming. Have you always been this way,
1: uh, or do you have I'm just—I've just never been an extrovert, I guess. Uh, I mean, you've been married for—I'm a, I'm a really a lousy interview, especially for a column like that, magazine. Uh, they, that's why they had to stay with me for a week. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> to get enough material. They, they could have probably thought. gotten it a half hour on anybody else. How no,
0: but you've been married to the same woman for 17 or 18 years? So, or?
1: Yeah, going on 18.
0: I said, be- which is kind of refreshing. Uh. Well, it's kind of different in Hollywood, that's yeah. for sure. Is, uh, is she in the movie industry at all? No,
1: she never has been. Mm-hmm. She's uh, an aficionado, uh, but uh, she's not... Um, Hasn't been involved actively.
0: I said before that we had something in common, and that's because uh, Clint's son's name is Kyle, and of our six sons, our number five son is Kyle. Yeah. Any special... Re- now, did you pick out Kyle? i got to look it. In- you know, friends, you don't mind a little personal thing here today. We've got to find out why we named our sons Kyle.
1: Uh, mine was named uh, Kyle after Kyle wrote the football player. She just always thought that that was a great name. We've never met the man, but uh, she thought that was a fabulous name. I found out that Frank Gifford... Named his kid Kyle for the it's same a whole mess of them around the <laughs> uh, same reason, but uh, it seemed to go well with Eastwood, I think. And uh, actually, her first choice was Clint Eastwood the third, and I had been junior, and I had kind of gone through that route. I, I just didn't see. I felt the kid should always have his own name, his own identity. And great, uh,
0: junior Sonny, or Little
1: Clint maybe. Yeah, uh, Sonny, really? Little Clint uh, Junior, <laughs> Which,
0: and. Um, it's, it's confusing for a few years. In the our, our Kyle was only because his, all of our guys' names begin with K. And when we got down to number five, uh, you know, we were beginning to. And then somebody, I guess we have a couple, well, quite a few of our sons play football, and we're kind of football fans. And I think oh, we terrific. thought a Kyle wrote, too.
1: Yeah, could be. But it's your, Subconsciously.
0: it's your dog that I want to talk about, <laughs> Symphony Sid. Now, come on. I didn't think anybody in the world except a few ex-Easterners like myself knew yeah. who Symphony Sid was. He, for those uninitiated, Symphony Sid was probably one of the first jazz jockeys. Yeah. I used was, to do uh, jazz concerts with Symphony Sid and Charlie Ventura.
1: Yeah, he was big time. I, didn't uh, Lester Young or somebody write a tune called Jumpin' with, Jumpin Symphony, with Symphony Sid? Jumpin' with Symphony Sid, which was one of George Shearing's big hits. Yeah.
0: Shearing, yeah.
1: And they even did lyrics to it later on and somebody else said it's kind of a bop-type lyrics to it. Yeah, I remember that. That was a fabulous era. How did the dog get to be the dog Symphony was Sydney, Sidney. Oh. He just named Sydney, and I don't know why I named him Sydney. He just looked like a Sydney to me. I mean, he, what kind of a dog is he? A Basset Hound. He looks like Sydney. Right? Yeah, he <laughs> just it uh, looked like the right kind of name for him, and uh, <laughs> uh, then we shortened it up and called him Sid and uh, Symphony Sid, and you know what else? Do you, are you a jazz buff at all when it comes to yeah. music? I've always been a jazz buff. I've, I've been kind of going back to it lately. I kind of got away from it for a while, but uh, I went to Monterey Jazz Festival this year, and that was wow. great fun. And all of a sudden, I got interested, and you know, got the old Oscar Peterson records out and everything.
0: Whatever happened you know. to Oscar? Who was at Monterey this year?
1: Uh, well, Peterson was there, great. and he was uh, greater than ever. And um, Dizzy Gillespie, that whole group, uh, Brubeck, Mulligan—fabulous, super. Anybody with a tinge of nostalgia for jazz, you'd have gone crazy. Then. Oh, it
0: would have been fantastic, because I kind of grew up on that, I guess. We'd, we'd travel, like if Stan Kenton was playing within 90 miles of my house, you know, yeah. we'd drive just to hear him.
1: Yeah, was well, like big that. stuff in California, too. People would drive, used to play in uh, Balboa, and people would go all the way down from San Francisco and Oakland just to spend a weekend there catching kids. They call it the famous
0: Balboa bandwagon. That's what they call it. Yeah. Now, of course, your, is your home in Monterey, Clint? Yeah, I live in uh, Carmel, California now. Well, that's where Errol Garner made one of his great albums. Yeah,
1: the uh, Concert by the Sea. Right. Yeah. Now, let's get back a little bit. To, as long as we're Jimmy back... Lyons, in fact, produced that. The same guy who produces the uh, Monterey Jazz Fest, and he was the West Coast symphony sid. He was a jazz jockey in uh, San Francisco when I was very young. It's uh, <laughs> it's funny how this whole thing ties up, because
0: Errol Garner's recording of Misty. And I, I think perhaps once the movie gets around, once it opens here in Chicago later this week and people go to see it mm-hmm. and hear Errol's recording of Misty, yeah. it might be a revival of a you know of a great jazz song. And the fact that you come from Carmel, and that's where Errol made one of his most successful albums, uh, this whole thing sort of ties together. Yeah, that wasn't planned to come out that way, but it did. I don't know. Now, was the song Misty by Errol Gardner? Was this always in the screenplay? and the, and
1: the story? Yeah, the writer had, had written, uh, it was always called Play Misty for me. Uh studio wanted to change the title everybody wanted to change the title because they felt that the nature of the picture being a suspense uh, picture they felt it should have a psychotic type title like the screamer or something like that <laughs> but i thought that just made it sound like a cheap movie to me and uh and we ho- hopefully it wasn't that so uh we resisted that
0: and, you know
1: you never know if you're right or not i always feel that the public has much more intelligence than the, the uh, movie uh, studios I think they do anyway. I mean, Thank you. They find nice. out, uh, they're going to find out what it's about. And uh, I think they deserve a better, uh, I think they deserve to be played across to and not. Well, you have been the, uh, un- the unfortunate
0: recipient of the selling, the bad selling of what was not a bad movie. You went through this yourself, didn't you?
1: Yeah, it can uh you know that that is part of the reason I guess we had so many arguments on the on the present film is that uh, I did a film that was intended to be exactly as it came out and going into it is an unusual type film called a beguiled and uh it was sold as a western and this consequently alienated um people uh who wanted to go see a western and wouldn't like the type of picture beguiled is would, uh, were turned off by it, by it and uh, the people who would normally like the beguile were turned off by the advertising, never went anyway, so uh, we had some pretty good, uh, some markets it was, did quite well, others it was kind of spotty, in France right now it's just, you know, it's going through the roof, so we're, it depends on where you are, but it, it wasn't as kind of unanimous. The type deals where it would go well in each town what's
0: with you in europe you know between the success of beguiled in france and the success of the movies in italy uh you have much to thank europe for
1: well the movies in italy uh the three dollar films started out there but they did they were kind of unanimous films in every country they did equally as well Uh, from you know hong kong to south america even down in india and places like that where they don't Sell too many American flicks Was there any
0: indication when you first went over to Italy to make the films that you know anything like this would happen? Would was there any feeling early in the the filming of uh, the dollar films? That I felt it started? had
1: a, an opportunity uh, to be. A, I felt there was an, maybe an audience for that uh, style as I was making it, but there's so many things that go into making a film. You never know, for instance, that you played the good, the bad, and the ugly. You never know that that kind of music's gonna go into it, especially me living here and making a film over there. You never know how the photography's turning out as you're doing it. Um, in European films, you look at the dailies, they're in black and white, and pretty cruddy looking. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's hard to really get a, a feeling of the film unless you've worked with the director before. And on that first picture, I thought, "Eh, you know, who knows? Then when I saw it, I was, you know, pound for pound or dollar for dollar for what the picture cost, I thought. It was a very pleasant surprise. Of course, I think
0: that was the amazing thing, was the cost of of the movies. The Mm -hmm. first one, what was it, a couple hundred thousand dollars
1: budget? Mm -hmm. Which
0: in America is what impossible.
1: (laughs) Oh, you couldn't have made it here for that or near that. You could make a short subject for
0: a couple (laughs) hundred thousand
1: dollars. And then they turned out to make, what, four million? They're getting a little more lenient now, I think people uh, because of the uh, conditions. That at that time, you couldn't have made anything. But now uh, unions and uh, management and everybody are realizing that y- you're, you know, you're re- killing the industry by the padding, You know, having eight guys doing w- one job, and they're they beginning to realize that things uh, are making uh, concessions now, so it's working better. As a director, you are becoming much more aware of things like that aren't you yeah well you have to be aware of that and then filming uh play misty for me we did it all in the carmel region 100 percent interiors exteriors all on location and uh, that's the way we worked in europe and that's the way i like to continue working because there's no spirit in a movie studio there isn't a there's a lack of spirit that uh, that happens when everybody gets on a sound stage it's uh they're all looking for their chairs. When you're on location, everybody's picking up something and running. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when a fellow becomes, or a gal, becomes successful in, in show business, they are continually written about. And, and I wonder sometimes if they're as happy about what is written as they should be. For instance, in the the life cover story, I would imagine you were generally happy with what life had to say, weren't you, Clint?
1: Sure. I, uh, I thought it was... Uh fine. They misquoted my age and a couple, you know, attacked on a few years, but other than that, you know... Do you, do you want to correct that right now no, for no, all I the ladies listening
0: much. in? No. It doesn't make any difference. <laughs> I,
1: it didn't make any difference. I thought it was a, a very flattering article.
0: The, uh, but here's something else now. In the paper this morning, Norma Lee Browning has a column in the Tribune, and she writes uh, usually about Hollywood mm-hmm. and Hollywood people, mm-hmm. and I've interviewed Norma Lee, and this is her job, to mm-hmm. find out what's going on in Hollywood, but she says in the paper this morning that uh, you are... That you won't direct another? Yeah, she says here, He told us months ago he will never again direct himself in a movie. And she even has never in italics. Uh I don't know whether that means that you really said it or she can't remember. Uh, I think...
1: (laughs) I don't know. Why did they put it in italics? Uh, I think... I don't recall making that statement, but, uh, you know... Did you ever talk to Norma Lee? Uh, I doubt it. Uh, (laughs) To begin with, (laughs) I I doubt if I said that at least about that particular uh, topic. I've I've talked to her in the past, but um, I probably uh, I said that it was a difficult job, at it's best to direct and act in a film, and uh, and maybe it was a good idea not to do it again. Uh, Whether um, those things get interpreted differently, you know, they uh, people like to. I mean, writers kind of move them around to where they remembered them at the time, and maybe uh, maybe even justifiably forget exactly how you worded the discussion. i tell you why I bring up the subject of your directorial prowess. because one so, so of the- those rumor-has-it articles. Yeah. I think that particular quote is one of those rumor-has-it type things anyway, yeah. which are kind of out of the woods, you know, like rumor-has-it the guy is... Uh, uh, and an argument with a truck driver, I mean, who who knows? Who knows?
0: No, but the reason I wanted to bring it up, because I know some people whose opinion I value greatly, people who are film buffs, who are very excited, not only about your acting performance and about Misty for me, but think you did a whale of a job directing it.
1: Well, we've had very good luck so far with, an, uh, you know, we're having our good luck with notices at the present time, which is uh, is pleasing. That isn't the end result as far as box office goes, but it's flattering to one's e- ego, to think that uh, the effort uh, is working out. Now, you mentioned box
0: office, and let's face it: movies is a business. Uh, to be successful, a motion picture has got to make money. People have got to pay to see it. Mm-hmm. Now, what goes through your mind in this current kind of upheaval that we're in the motion picture business? Do you want to be successful, and yet, uh, what
1: kind of movies do you think you want to make? Well, I feel that uh, to the the only uh, thing that an actor has. Uh, the satisf- you know, like gratification can be, uh, is to entertain, is to go away, uh, have the people uh, go away entertained, and that is uh, shown by how many people are in the theaters. If the theater's empty, that means something's gone wrong. And I don't want to make any pictures for empty theaters, hopefully. And uh, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I think every time a picture comes out that is bad, badly done or bad taste, or, and, you, and a guy goes and sees it, you lose that guy for another six months or so. I mean, he doesn't, uh, maybe not uh, younger audiences who may see a lot of films, they're exposed to more, but say the average working guy, if he, he goes to a bad flick and he is, doesn't go away entertained at all, he, uh, you lose him for a while. He's stuck with the tube for a while. You know? What's a good movie? What do you like? What do you find entertaining? Oh, I like all kinds of uh, all kinds of films. I love um, good adventure films. I love a film like *Summer of '42*. I thought that was a nicely done film, and I think it's a a, a stage in life, a, a, a stage everybody goes through. It's it's fun to to watch it uh, created that well on the screen. Do you enjoy some of the foreign films that that we eventually yeah, I get like, to see uh, in America? I thought The Investigation of a Citizen uh, Above Suspicion was a good film. Uh, Conformist, they have some nice ones out lately.
0: Good. Clint Eastwood came to town to talk about Misty for Me. He stars in it. uh, He directed it. And what is your next venture? Now that this is in the can and has opening in Chicago this week, there are other things to do, aren't
1: there? Yeah, Roy, I've got uh, another film that will be out um, at Christmas time called Dirty Harry. And uh, Then I'm starting a Western uh, November 1st called Joe Kidd. Do you mind getting back into the Western bag? Uh, No, not at all. I've been away from it for a while. I'm kind of uh, looking forward to going back.
0: Were you ever worried, like maybe during Rawhide or while you were making the films in Italy, that you would never get
1: out of that? Was this of concern at all? Well, you know, everybody keeps talking about typecasting all the time. I think actors go through a period in their life where they're starving and they think uh, just... uh, you no, know, just get me in anything. I don't care what it is. I want to <laughs> do uh, well and want to work. Uh work and then then you I w- worry about getting untyped later. And that's what uh, happened even though I went to Europe and made the dollar pictures they were still a complete departure from the character I played on the television show. Right, right. So that helped take me in one direction, and I've, the success of those films allowed me to go further in another direction. It's been fun to talk to you today. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Roy. I enjoyed it.
0: Oh, now look, ordinarily we don't do this on WGN, but uh, we have a, a special request to play today. Somebody named Evelyn. Evelyn. <laughs> And if you uh, want to find out what a real sweet little lady Evelyn is, uh, Clint won't tell you today, but he would invite you to go see Play Misty for me, and they can find out for themselves. Right?
1: Right. (laughs)